Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. We've done that a little bit through our fasting and prayer this week, um, and we've talked about that a little bit, but um, there's so many aspects to unity, so many different ways that we can become unified together as the church. And so we uh, already talked about continuity throughout scripture and how that, that um, how the continuity in scripture uh, gives us a sense of unity, that our purpose and God's purpose in communicating and having relationship with us brings us into a common purpose together. Uh, so it's not only just a single pursuit, an individual pursuit, but it becomes a pursuit of the body of Christ uh, in continuity with, with uh, God and with Scripture. And uh, then we last week talked about culture and how that a uh, culture that is unified together can do amazing things and can be uh, a force to be reckoned with. Um, and so I'm going to uh, talk today about community. And I believe that culture develops in community. And maybe even the other way around, that if you develop a great culture, community uh, is built through that. So um, think of all your, you know, the popular brands, the popular things, uh, uh, organizations that you know of, and the culture that they've built. Uh, For anybody that's, uh, I know there's like two sides of this, Apple and Android or Google and all of that, well, there's like cultures built around those two things, just those brands alone. Uh, there's even a website called the Cult of Mac. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it is a cult-like following with some of these brands and some of these things. Uh, culture develops based out of this purpose and this sense of community around something. Um, but I, I want to ask you two questions that I asked last week. Uh, Two questions from the book Church Work by Rodney Shaw. What kind of place will this be, and what kind of people will we be? I think those are two very powerful questions when you ask that and and internalize that. What kind of place do I want this to be, and what kind of person do I want to be? Um, The good news is we can change course today. You can change immediately. Right now where you're at, you can shift your focus and become what you want to become. Or you can lead the church in the direction, uh, under the leadership of the pastor, obviously, but in the direction that you believe the church should be. That all can start within a moment. It doesn't take very long. Um, So what do I want to, uh, a lot of times we ask ourselves these questions, what do I want to be in the church? What do I feel like God is calling me to do? Um, how many of you in your childhood or in your early teens or even in your young adult years or maybe even just last week have had an identity crisis where you just did not know who you were, what you wanted to be when you grew up? Some of us are still like that, just I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Uh, I'm going to keep trying things to see uh, what I want to be. Um, and so... And I'm, I'm interested to hear if anybody has a specific thing that you wanted to do when you grew up. I 
personally, uh, just give you time to think about this. I at one time wanted to be a designer, but not just a designer. I wanted to be a designer of interiors, interior designer. <laughs> uh, I became a designer, which is great, but I still love architecture. I still love design, uh, all those things. But that's something that I thought I'd go to school for. Me and Jen shared in that together because we both uh, wanted to go to school for interior design, actually. And so we talked about it after, after Bible college, if we'd go into that. Um, anybody else? Anything? Mr. Sheets, I think you had one. You are. I've seen you on film. Yes. Awesome. Well, there's an airport right here if you have a, have a desire. <laughs> Connie. Awesome. Titus. <laughs> there's still time. You're not 80 yet. <laughs> Sister Devana. Nice. You are in many ways. There's still time. Hey, I'm at least starting by like eating at a lot of them. There's still time. <laughs> um, so you can see that there's a variety of things that we wanted to be. Uh, and maybe we're different than what we, we thought we'd be. Um, maybe some of us had a very specific thing that we wanted to be, and we grew up to be that. And that's great, too. But not all of us can say that. And um, often uh, church congregations and Christians uh, have this same kind of identity crisis of one foot in the world, one foot in the church. I don't know if I truly want to live for God or if I, you know, I have some other pursuits, I have some other things, and we kind of have this identity crisis within ourselves, which then creates an identity crisis within the church, because the church as a whole, made up of individuals, doesn't know what we want to be. They don't, it's hard to decide what we're going to be as a body of Christ. And so when we all come into unity, the unity of the faith, when we come into agreement on a uh, specific purpose and a plan for our lives, um, that is when a powerful culture can develop. Uh, so, again, ask yourself those, th these questions. What kind of place will this be and what kind of people will we be? Um, we've, I've, I've brushed on this a little bit before, and, and I'll, I'll just brush over this again. But um, when we talk about the, the human condition and what our desires and needs are, um, there's uh, something often referred to as Maslow's hierarchy of needs or hierarchy of needs. There's a lot of different names for it and different variations of this. But um, basic things that we need are physiological needs like air, food, water, warmth, clothing. Uh, second to that would be safety, that we need protection and shelter. Uh, number three, that we need love and belonging, that we uh, a need for to be loved and to belong to something bigger than ourselves. Uh, number four, self-esteem, that we need confidence in ourselves and respect from others. Uh, so these are some things that in our just everyday life, these are things that we develop the need for and desire for. And these things can be looked at as a pyramid, so to speak, 
to where your basic level is uh, physiological, that you need air, food, warmth, water, all these things to survive. Those are basic needs of every human. And sadly, across the world, not everybody has access to just the basic uh, needs of life. Um, safety, protection, and shelter. There's times where uh, you'll see that flip a little bit because of someone's need to protect their child or uh, think of their child before themselves. So they'll feed their child before they feed themselves. Um, so there is a little bit of uh, variation in this. But for the most part, it, I, I can't worry about my own self-esteem that much if I am desperate for food. Um, I can't worry about, and then the final one uh, being self-actualization, which is your personal purpose or mission in life. I can't be worried about my personal mission in life if I don't have my basic needs met. If I, I don't have food and I don't have food on my table for my kids, then yeah, I'm going to do everything I can to work, to make the money, to try to just provide food for my kids. And so um, we are all in different places with that. And a lot of times when a counselor will go to talk to somebody, they'll ask those kind of questions is to gauge someone's status in their life, where they're at in their life. Um, do you have love and belonging? Do you have people that care about you? Do you have family? Do you have all these things? Do you lack in self-esteem? Do you, you know, have a poor, uh, um, a poor view of yourself? Um, and then, of course, you know, the, maybe the reason they're at a counselor is because they don't feel like they're fulfilling their purpose. But those kind of questions you can ask um, that the need for love and belonging are a lot less important and the need for safety is even less important if you are desperate for water. Someone would stand in front of a, uh, a stampede of elephants to get water in the desert um, or in the jungle. <laughs> but um, but the, that's the, the kind of thing that uh, is innate in us that we have a desire for these things and a need for these things. It's not just out of desire, but for need, necessity. So what does it look like to become spiritually uh, healthy or mature? Um, right after talking about the importance of love and everything that we do, we talked about this, I think it was last week, love and everything that we do, a culture built around that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10, Paul says, Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail, and whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. It's like he was referring to a deeper, more meaningful uh, walk with God, a deeper, more meaningful way of doing things, that it's not just out of duty, but now we're doing it out of love for other people. We're not just doing this because, uh, and, you know, prophecies are great, and, and all these things are great. Uh, tongues are great. That, those are things that are, we feel like are important and essential. But uh, it says in the scripture that if you, do not, if you don't do those things with love, then it's nothing. It means nothing. And so right after that, in referring to a deeper, more meaningful way of doing things, a new way of doing things, um, a, more a more mature Christian approach. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11 says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That surface level of Christianity, that immature, you know, and maybe not completely immature. We 
go through the motions of it, but when we uh, truly get ourselves to a place where we're coming from a place of love and, and our purpose is sure, it makes a, a, just a, an amazing difference, not only in the community and the body of Christ, but as a culture that we're trying to build. So the Bible has a lot of good things to say about children, but that is not one of them. Suffer the little children to come unto me, talking about the faith of a child and all of that, but not when you're referring to those things that you learn as you become older. It's good to, to have those kind of things as a child does, but to grow in maturity. That's like um, one of my favorite people on, on earth is Lloyd Squires. He is a man in stature, but a child at heart, and, uh, and everybody loves him because of it. But putting away childish things, that we, we, we're not just doing these things out of duty, out of obligation, out of task-related, but we are doing it out of love uh, for others and for God. Um, there is an importance not only in our maturity as Christians individually, but in growing as a community and as a body of Christ. The Bible talks about isolation and idleness, that, um, that the importance of being together and being with people. Um, it says in Ecclesiastes 4, 5 through 8, and talking about being idle, the first part of this, uh, says the fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. He takes his hands off, folds his hands, consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother. Yet there is no end to all his labor, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asked, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. Uh, this gives us the visual, the picture of a man working alone, wondering why he's doing it. Why am I even working? What is it all good for? Um, and showing a man alone without companion. Obviously, we could go back to the beginning, uh, to, the, to uh, Genesis, and we could talk about uh, God's desire for companionship with man, but then man's need for a woman to be in companionship with him. So just at the beginning of creation, we can see the need for two being better than one. That God could have survived and lived and existed on this earth alone, but he desired relationship. And so our, that is our desire. We're created in the image of God. We're created like God. And we have that same need and desire for relationship. So, again, uh, there is, then I, I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without companion. He has neither son nor brother, yet there is no end to all his labor, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. It's a lonely place to be alone and isolated and to feel that lack of community. Um, 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 8, also in the same vein, uh, says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave 
uh, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. And then right uh, shortly after that, it goes into the passage that we quote quite a bit. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fail, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he fails. For he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie, lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So, um, the strength that comes from just, not just one, but two, multiplying. Titus has talked about that, multiplying. The, the, the amazing thing that happens, if anybody's put money into a Roth IRA and got com compound interest, uh, you can tell the power of multiplication. Uh, that when I put, when I when I link myself together with more than just myself and give, uh, become part of the body of Christ, which in and of itself is linking yourselves up with people that have weaknesses, that have strengths that you don't have, uh, things that we could get a little jealous over, things that we could say, um, I, I don't, I'm not going to partner with them because I'm in kind of conflict with them. And so there's a lot of uh, humility that has to come with that process. But when we do it, um, because they have good reward for their labor, two are better than one. And again, not just the production side of it that we will produce more as a body of Christ, but that when we are weak, we can pick one another up, or when something comes up against us and tries to overtake us, uh, as it says here, that, um, that we can overpower them when the two stand uh, together. And then as a side note, we can keep each other warm as well. Um, I've talked about this a little bit, but it's, it really fits here in this lesson. Um, the idea of third places. There was a... Um, there was a sociologist who uh, developed that phrase, third places. And when you think of it, it uh, in a sense of hierarchy, it is first places would be home, uh, places that you are every single day. You spend the most of your time at home. Um, second places being work. We also spend an equally uh, quite a bit amount of time at work. Thankfully for some of us, that's joined together. Um, and that is a blessing. But third places would be places outside of those two. Uh, something like the gym, something like a coffee shop, something like um, a book club, or maybe it's a sporting event or a team that you follow. You might get season tickets to a team that you love or a team that you follow. And that would be considered third places. These are social environments, places that we can develop relationships and community within. It's amazing to me every time I go to the gym, that it, it's, it's like a little church in terms of people congregating in the lobby, congregating in the hallways, uh, talking to each other, asking each other about their week, how are things going. Uh, you know, I bet you there's, there's probably times where they meet each other's needs in the, in the gym. 
where they ask how someone's doing and, oh, you're struggling there? I can help you out. You know, there's things that develop because of a culture of community that happens in the gym. Coffee shops are the same way. I spend quite a bit of time in coffee shops for work. I just go and sit in in a coffee shop. And it's amazing the, the routines that people go through every single day going to places like coffee shops. There's a, a man that comes in uh, to Post Commons in, in Alton, and we sit kind of like not far from each other. I've never actually talked to him, and I need to. But he, he comes in, I come in, we both sit, do our thing. Uh, but he comes in, I have to assume it's every day because he's there every time I'm there. He probably says the same thing about me. But he sits there, and he reads a book, and he gets a cup of coffee, and he sits, and then he goes back up and gets another cup, and he goes back and reads his book. And then he goes up and has conversations with people, and then people come up to him, and they talk to him, and he has conversations with them. And so it's amazing the kind of community that can build in a place like that. And that's because people desire community. They desire relationship with each other. The same thing uh, can be true of that. And I think it's interesting and fascinating that the kind of subcultures that can come out of even just one single community. You could have uh, go to the gym and you could meet people that now join you, you as part of a book club or that you uh, go out and, and uh, go to places to eat and things like that. So one community can develop into so many other things when there's a culture of, of community there. Um, and of course, we all know uh, if we're in St. Louis that the St. Louis Cardinals, there's a major community and culture built around just a sporting event. Um, one place that has embraced this, and I promise I'll get to scripture really quickly, but one place that has embraced this fully, this idea of third places, and I think we'll all, we can all attest to this probably in some way or at least someone we know, is Starbucks. When Starbucks opened its first store in Pike Place Market in 1971, it didn't serve lattes, but soon it soon became a hub of connection, a place to sample a cup of Sumatra coffee or learn about beans from Latin America, mission, connection, mission, both represented there. In, 18, in 1987, Starbucks expanded into a European cafe model uh, with added seating and espresso beverages. Customers lingered in stores, even if they had no one to meet, or uh, for the simple experience of being met with a friendly face and taking a moment to pause in the day. How many can gauge the uh, good service by how much people linger afterwards? <laughs> it seems like when things are going really well, people just don't want to leave. Um, and and that's, that's a sign of a good culture and a good community. Um, and so... Uh, Uh, There wasn't really a term for what was happening until a few years later uh, in 1989 when sociologist Ray Oldenburg coined the term third place, describing a place beyond home and work where people could gather, relax, and talk. Fast forward 35 years, and as the world has evolved, so has the third place. As Starbucks, and this was an article from Starbucks about reinventing themselves, as Starbucks is reinventing the company, it is also reimagining the third place, keeping coffee, mission, and connection at the center. One of the strategic shifts Schultz uh, announced is to reimagine our store experience for greater connection, ease, and planet positive impact. It's like a little church, and that's why people are drawn to it, because it creates a sense of community. Now, we could talk about the good and bad of Starbucks, and I'm not here to talk about that. 
But I'm just talking about today what a third place represents for people. Notice in just their describing of what they want to reinvent themselves into, they don't want to lose the essential purpose of what they were when they started, which was uh, we want to have a mission around coffee, and that's what, what their mission is, and they want to bring people in and have connection with them. They talked about in their, uh, uh, well, it says the, the third place has never been defined solely by a physical space. It's also the feeling of warmth, connection, and a sense of belonging. So there's so many things that they're doing that are just trying to create a culture, but I can't help but realize or notice the, the desire for people to create something similar to what the church is supposed to represent. Now, obviously, the pandemic changed this dynamic, and the pandemic not only changed uh, Starbucks model or other you know, business models, it's changed the church in a profound way. And sadly, we have become isolated. And through that isolation, you could, I could do a whole lesson on the, the, the benefits of connection and the, the, the downsides to isolation because there's so much in our mental uh, state and so much in, in us emotionally that is affected by isolation. And I think we all had firsthand account of that during the pandemic, that we could see just how, how isolated it felt and how depressed we could get and how uh, all those things developed through that. So the Bible talks about this strength in numbers. And we already mentioned that passage, the fool folds his hands, consumes his own flesh. Um, and then for Second Thessalonians, for even uh, when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear uh, that there are some which walk among you disorderly, wa- uh, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such, we command and exhort you, exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. For ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our words by the epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now, in the church, we have different levels of commitment. We have different people at different places. And I think what this is pointing out here in this passage is that there is a problem in the church that sometimes we become distracted by the cares of life or idle. I think this is something that Brother Smith has talked about to us specifically, who is a mouthpiece for the word of God to us. I think we should heed his words very carefully. But he's talked about the spirit of lethargy, the spirit of being idle, being lethargic. Now, Sometimes, and you've heard that, that term, idle hands are the devil's playground or whatever. I, I looked that up and there was a translation of scripture that used that. I don't think that's actually in the Bible, but there was, I think it was probably the message. It was like completely different than what the scripture said, but it said, idle, idle hands are the devil's playground. I was like, no, it is in the Bible. 
if you read a certain uh, version of it. So, but, but that, uh, that idea of, I mean, that's, the, that's one of the reasons that there's so much crime in uh, low-income neighborhoods that don't have other things to do. You know, sometimes we just, if there's nothing to do, you do whatever you do and, and whatever comes to mind. And sometimes in kids' minds, it's not always the best thing. Um, and, and so having a community that you can be a part of, a third place that you can go to, um, creates a sense of belonging and mission, most importantly, that we can all come within the same mission and purpose of the church. And so um, when you don't have that, it, it develops into something, something outside of the bounds of it. And, and so it's talking about here people that, um, you know, they, they don't work. And as it says here, and as maybe is that long-used term that basically came from this passage, if you don't eat, you don't work. Or if you don't work, you don't eat. And um, what I think it's important here to say that it is not saying that this person is an enemy if they do not uh, work. But we receive the fruit of our labor. That's just a, a, a basic principle. But to um, that, that passage where it says to admonish him, says to basically to warn him. That if someone is doing that, warn them. But don't associate necessarily with them from a sense of being with them all the time. Because that kind of thing can rub off on people. And it's important for us to stay missional and to stay on task on what, of what God has called us to do. So, yes, um, I mean, it sounds a little harsh, but we're not necessarily pushing someone off as a, an enemy that we don't, we don't want anything to do with them, but warn them that you have to be part of this. Um, and to distance yourselves, if you have to, from people that are pulling you away from the mission of the church. So this isn't saying abandon this person, but warn them. And let this be a warning to you to distance yourself from this type of behavior. Um, the community of the church should be missional. We find that in the passage we all probably know and can quote in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed to them, or for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The commission. Go. Number two, make disciples. Number three, teach them. It's a simple command, but something that we can get so off track on by other pursuits and other things. And that's why um, I talked about this a little bit last week at the end of my message, but that we have changed the way that we do things here at Landmark so that we can be more missional, so that we can try our best to connect with other people and that we can equip them for life and for ministry and that we can go into all the world and make disciples. Are we 
perfect at it? Are we doing it right? Probably there's so much room for improvement. But to just assume that it's going to happen, to show up every week and just hope that it happens, and I'm I'm, uh, confident that God's people, as they read the word of God, things do develop, good things do develop out of that. But if we're not intentional and and behind the mission of the church, um, we will pursue so many other things. There, in the book um, uh, Simple Church, in the book Simple Church, Tom Rainier talks about that, that the fact that some churches, and he's consulted with churches over the years, and he's found that so much of their budget goes to like one single Easter drama every year. Or that one, and not saying that's a bad thing, that you have Easter dramas. That's not the point. But the fact that throughout the year, when you start, when, when the next Easter drama is over, you start into the next one, and you start planning it, you start building stuff, and you start uh, designing it and thinking about it and doing it. Now, plan ahead, yes. But if your whole pursuit is after that one thing that is a one-time event and then it's over, could our pursuits be better suited in other ways? Now, again, I think that comes down to our own personal relationship with God and what God has called us to do. But the fact that sometimes things can get so off course because of other pursuits. Now, we could take that one thing and say, okay, well, that, but that's a good thing. That's, um, that's an Easter drama, and so it's, it's helpful to people. But what about things that we do that are internal that maybe um, only benefit the church or that we bypass the idea, the concept of going and making disciples? I think that every one of us, myself included, I need to find someone to teach a Bible study to. I need to make disciples, and I don't do a good enough job of that. I, I get involved in a lot of the details of things, how things are done, and I need to be more missional to my own personal Uh, mission within the church as a disciple to make disciples so I can I can stand here and teach people in the church but is that should that be my only pursuit so community should be missional and you'll find that this same concept in community you'll find it everywhere that there is a mission a a purpose a, a unifying quality that that brings us all together Secondly, community should be unified. Um, I'll go through this quickly. 1 Corinthians 1, through, uh, 1, verse 10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no division among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's easy when we come from a place of love and when we're not coming from a place of task driven mentality Um, and then secondly uh, Acts 4 32 through 35 says now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul neither did anyone say that any of, of the things he possessed was his own but they had all things in common and with great power the apostles uh, gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon all of them nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that they were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they, were, they distributed to each as anyone had need. 
Now, again, when it comes from a place that is not a, a based in love, uh, this can be uh, become transactional. And we find that in preceding verses, in talking about Ananias and Sapphira, that they sold their land, as it talked about here, but that they held back a portion of it. And so when confronted with them, we know the results of that situation. Um, but they were unified under, uh, under a specific purpose and, and mission. And that is something that you, it is hard to just manufacture that, to just say, be kind and loving to people. It has to come from the heart. Otherwise, it will just be transactional. Um, <clears throat> secondly, uh, or sorry, thirdly, the community, community should be close. Um, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with an, uh, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our Hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Let us draw near. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. As the day was approaching Jesus' death, he drew near, near to his disciples. He had that intimate dinner known as the Last Supper with his disciples. Just like that, even references Jesus' crucifixion in the first part of this verse. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated to us a new and living way that we can now access his spirit through the veil, his most intimate place. This same mandate was given to us to remain close as we wait for the second coming. And then the last two things, community should be diverse. Revelation 7, 9 says, After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, with no multitude, uh, which no man uh, could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Jews, Arabic, you know, Jews and Muslims that have found God standing before the throne. But these, this desire for community should be diverse. It should be people of all nations. The idea that one of the central topics in our world is racism. The church has an opportunity a church has an opportunity that if we simply live out what we were meant to be, that we could fulfill what a lot of people are looking for right now. Acts 13.1 says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, 
uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the, the Tetrarch, and Saul. These were people uh, in the early church, in the church, uh, in, in the area of Antioch, that Simeon was from northern Africa, and Lucius of Cyrene was also from northern Africa, and um, one one uh, translation of of uh, Simeon's title was Simeon the Dark, that he would have been of dark complexion. This idea of uh, of all tongues and all people and all nations worshiping God around the throne is what the church is meant to be, and I'm thankful that we have a lot of different cultures represented. Uh, in our church, in our small town of Bethalto that doesn't have a lot of cultures represented. Someone asked me about that one time, about the lack of diversity. And I said, well, in our church, we're actually probably more diverse than our, our town is. And that's a good thing. That is a representation of, of a, the church as it should be. And then finally, a community should be inclusive. And we hear this word a lot. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So if you look at that example I used earlier, Starbucks, their mission is inclusion. Their mission, you could go down the list, diversity. Their mission is missional. Their mission is community, trying to keep people close to one another. Um, how do we bring people into our, our shops more? You can see that even with them, there's a lot of division even in their culture and their community. But it just shows me that the world is trying to replicate what the church should be. That the world wants to replicate those essential characteristics of the body of Christ. And finally, again, I'll ask you that those same two questions. What do you want or what kind of place will this be and what kind of people will we be? Can we just close today in prayer that God would help us to change our focus? If we are focused in a direction that is not of God, to change our focus to become unified together through the community and the body of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus.